This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. When you need to keep up with the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music, there's only one place that you can turn to that you know you're going to get it straight from, and that is the Decibel Geek Podcast and, of course, Geek Wire. Oh, yeah. It's Aaron Camaro. That's me. Joined, as always, by Chris Sinzak. That's you. How's it going, my friend? Happy to be back doing the show we love doing because both of our personal lives have been turned upside down. Long story. Uh, become a VIP on Patreon to hear about all that. Yeah, I almost died. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Golden Corral. It almost fucking killed me. Be careful at buffets. That's today's lesson. Golly. Yeah, food poisoning is no joke. I'm just barely recovering from it. So... If you were expecting this episode maybe a few days ago, well, I was dead (laughs) for a minute there. But I'm back to life, and we're ready to bring you the news. I think before we get into everything, I'd like to take a quick little sidestep and give a shout-out to the guy who gave us that sweet iTunes review last week. And maybe not so much for him, but maybe for his daughter. So now you've got a chance. You can bring your daughter in and have her listen to this part because it's for her and also for your wife. And this gentleman, Roy, he wrote us this epic review and we read it on the show. And then, as usual, we start acting like imbeciles. And so Roy's like, hey, oh, wow, they're reading my review, family. Gather around. Check it out. (laughs) And wishes he had never done that. So... To you, young lady, I'd just like to say your dad is an awesome, smart guy. He has impeccable taste in music. He also enjoys podcasts by idiots. And that's us. We are idiots. So for him to laugh at us, it's a good thing because we're stupid. He's not. So therefore, he likes to laugh at us. So do good in your homework. Always be your best. And you won't ever have to worry about growing up and being an idiot with a podcast yourself. Now, go away and let your dad enjoy the rest of this stupidity. Yeah, another lesson for today. If you leave us a review and we read it, don't bring your family in until you've listened to the whole response. (laughs) How embarrassing. We are imbeciles. <laughs> sorry, Roy, and especially sorry to your lovely family. I hope that they're still hanging out with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. So just wanted to throw that out there. You know, this is GeekWire. This is the place where you're going to get your latest and greatest news happenings from all over the world. We're going to bring it to you today. We've got all kinds of great stuff to talk about. All our favorite bands and artists, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stupid, We've got it all. So what are we kicking off with here today? Kind of an interesting story to uh, start off. Um, What does a cigarette pack cost in these times? In these times? I guess depends on where you live. Around here, I would say around seven bucks. Seven bucks a pack? Yeah. What if I told you that you could buy 
a pack of American Spirit cigarettes that haven't been opened since 1994 for the low price of a current bid of $3,000. Why? Why would you want to do that? Because this pack of cigarettes was owned by none other than Kurt Cobain a few days before his suicide. Hmm. But how could you prove something like that? The provenance, which is a big word like gymnasium that they like to say with these auctions. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> basically, the backstory okay, is right. that this pack of cigarettes was from the person who was Kurt's roommate in a rehab center, uh, the Exodus Recovery Center, in late March of 94. And okay. his claim is this pack of cigarettes was a pack that Kurt left behind when he checked himself out. Hmm. Yeah, see, I don't know. One, you can't trust it completely. There's no way to prove it. And then what do you got? An unopened pack of smokes. Yeah. You put it under glass and say, yep. Kurt Cobain bought those, or more than likely somebody bought those and gave them to Kurt Cobain, but he never smoked any of them. He didn't even take the plastic off. It's crazy, though, because the estimate, you know, they always put an estimate of what they think it's going to go for, and the estimate of this was 800 to $1,200, and there's already 10 bids, and it's up to three grand. Wow. So there's a lot of people wanting this, or at least 10. I mean, I guess... You're never going to have like a certificate of authenticity or nothing with it because there's no way to authenticate it. But it might be a cool collection piece. It might be. And uh, we also now know that Kurt Cobain was a menthol smoker. Oh, they were, what did you say they were? American Spirit? Yeah, American Spirit menthols. Huh. Yeah, I guess you never really think about like what brands, cigarettes or whatever do people, did people smoke. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Jim Ursay will buy them. Hmm. Yeah, he buys everything else. I get the vibe he's a smoker, too. Knowing him, he'd buy them and then smoke the whole pack. Ugh, from 1994? American Spirit are bad enough the way it yeah, is. No. Fresh pack. I went through a phase where I, I think I liked them for like a month, <laughs> and then I was done with them. Yeah, I bummed one off somebody once. was like, what the hell is this? And they're like, oh, they're healthy cigarettes. I was like, ah, there's no such thing. Yeah. People tried to push that narrative that they were healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some news that uh, listener Troy Maturin is excited about. Uh, Sammy has finally gone through with it. <laughs> when you said Troy, I knew <laughs> this was going to be a story about Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony have uh, joined up, well, with drummer Jason Bonham, who yeah. played in the circle already anyway, and Joe Satriani who played with Chickenfoot. So this is kind of a super group of guys that have kind of played together before, and they are yeah. going to do a Van Halen heavy 2024 tour. Yeah, I guess I can see why people like Troy would be excited for that. I can see why a lot of people would be excited for it. I mean, it's kind of cool, I guess. I guess I'm curious to what Alex thinks of this and what Wolfie thinks of this. Well, and I think the last thing I heard from Sammy about all this stuff was, it's not my job to put together the Van Halen tribute. But yet, here we are a week or two later, and he's like, hey, everybody, <laughs> we're doing the Van Halen tour. And would Eddie approve of something like this? 
Well, I mean, it's not like Sammy Hagar didn't doesn't do Van Halen songs anymore. No, he does. Or ever stopped. So, I mean, this it's not like once he left Van Halen, he didn't do Van Halen songs anymore. So, it's really not that big of a thing. They're kind of promoting it like it is, though. Like they went on, they all went yeah. on Howard Stern this week and and played a few songs and pieces of songs and full interview and and I'm just playing devil's advocate here because honestly, it, it Sammy and Michael have legal right to go out and perform these songs. They were a part of their sure. creation, so. I don't begrudge them that, and I don't begrudge people going to have a good time with it. Aaron and I, we like to have fun with the Sammy thing, but I think we would both agree there are certain songs from that era we do like. Yeah, oh yeah, there's a handful of songs. I mean, most of it I don't, but there's a few choice tunes in there. Like, if I could get the song and like take Sammy out of it, mm. like, hey, that could be a cool song. Like, sometimes with the Van Hagar stuff, I can hear songs and go... You know what? That one probably could have been a cool song if Dave was singing it. Right. Or if Dave wrote the lyrics to it. Because musically, it's got it. You know, it's got that Van Halen swagger from the old school stuff that I like. It's rare, you know, because Sammy's influence is a little too much on that. Well, it's way too much on a lot of that stuff. But as we said in the past, you can't blame it all on Sammy because Van Halen was wanting to do weirder stuff too once Dave was gone. They really changed everything, you know. So it wasn't just that Sammy came in and ruined the band. Right. That's that's what I thought for years. You know, you just hear it on the surface and be like, last week they were awesome and this week they suck. What's the difference? It's Sammy, you know. But as I've gotten older and really kind of listened to that stuff and then learned more about the backstory, Sammy Hagar isn't 100% to blame. Because Eddie Van Halen really wanted to change the direction of the music, too. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, they were already doing it with Dave. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, the jump riff on the keyboard was written in, like, the early 80s. And um, songs like I'll Wait, um, which I like that song, but it's all keyboards and it's written by Michael McDonald. <laughs> but they were already starting to kind of... Do a bit of a departure towards the end there, and I wonder if Eddie was trying to go for more. They were already huge, but bigger mainstream success by going more of the, you know, commercial rock radio route. Um, in hindsight, it didn't really work. They were still bigger with Dave, but they did have a lot of big hits, also. Right, and they stayed alive and relevant sure. throughout them years for sure. I mean, you can't. You can say you know easy say. Man, I love the classic Van Halen way better than Van Hagar. Oh, yeah. You know? and, that, and that's just an opinion, and everybody's opinion's different on that. Some people are wrong. Some people <laughs> agree with me. But, <laughs> but the thing is, like, they did stay relevant. They did have hit singles. They were still all over MTV. They were still all over you know, the radio airwaves, and they still were one of the top touring bands of that era. So you, you really can't take that away from them because, I mean, they could have just died off or it could have just been a huge failure, which it wasn't. Mm -mm. Was it as good? No, not even close. But you can't say they fell into obscurity because of it. They were still very much one of the biggest bands of their era with Sammy Hagar involved. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and there's probably gonna be a lot of people that show up to see this tour. I don't know that I'll be one of them, but um, I'd be more excited to see Satriani play solo 
and do his instrumental stuff, but that's me. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather see a show. And I don't know if I'd buy tickets to it, but if somebody said, hey, I got an extra ticket, do you want to go? I might. I might. They're probably not going to play any of the songs that I like, but it'd still probably be a pretty good time. I just wish Alex was, no disrespect to Jason Bonham, but it would be, I could buy in a little more if Alex was playing drums. Yeah. And if they got rid of Sammy and brought back Dave. That ain't happening. And and Sammy said in the interview that, that he's invited Alex and Dave to come out and he hasn't heard anything back. So, Oh, I did see that. Read the quote. Do I have the quote? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I have the quote right in front of me. Okay, so what I read, and it's like, you say all these nice things about Sammy, and I, I always say the same thing. I don't hate Sammy Hagar, but, man, sometimes he says shit that pisses me off. Yeah. And he said something along the lines of, yeah, even Dave could come back if he wanted to come up and do a couple of songs because, you know, he can't sing any of my songs, but I could do his songs, and, you know, we could maybe work something out. And it's like, you motherfucker, you know, do you really think – Dave's going to come back and do that with you after saying some shit like that. No. It's like, so you really don't want Dave Lee Roth a part of it, clearly, because that's going to take all the focus off of you. So to be the guy, you can't see my air quotes here, but I'm doing it. My fingers are wiggling. To be the guy taking the high road and saying, yeah, Dave Lee Roth could come back. I mean, I, that's going to kind of fall into our next story, too. But And then to say some shit like that and go, well, you know, I invited him back, but he didn't want nothing to do with it, or he had conditions or whatever. You'd say, hey, door's open. If you want to be a part of this, you can. Because, you know, you can't sing like I can, but I'm way better than you. So the only way you're going to have a part of this is just to maybe come up and do a couple of songs together or something. You son of a bitch, you know? <laughs> what the hell kind of offer is that, you know? Yeah. It's kind of a backhanded invitation. Yeah. I mean, they'd be like saying, hey, Chris, I want to invite you to this party I'm having. You know, you're not a very cool guy to be around, but I think it, if you wanted to come hang out with cool people, you should come to this. <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> right. You know, that's shitty. <laughs> But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little uncomfortable, but you know. I'm just... Well, I don't mean that, but just just as a off example is basically would be saying the same thing as that. Yeah. Well, that leads into the next story where Gene Simmons has been doing some extra press um, to pump up the last few Kiss shows because we're we're down to like uh, 20 days or something as of today. I think uh, maybe less. Yeah. And you know he's talking about. How somebody said, does it make you sad that Peter and Ace are not going to be a part of the la- the final shows? And he says, I feel sad. I feel sad and angry that both Ace and Peter aren't here. I mean, they're alive, but they're not here to enjoy this unbelievable journey with us. They were there at the beginning and, and deserve all the credit. And when they look in the mirror, the only reason they're not here with us is themselves. Another interview he had done, he had talked about, um, you know, substances got in the way. And it's like... I don't know, man. I don't think this has anything to do with substances. This means 
not wanting to give either of those guys a big payday to do it. Right. Yeah. And that's, man, that excuse is getting old, man. Like Ace Fraley just recently celebrated like many, many years of sobriety. And yet that's the same. That's what you can come up with over and over again. I mean, it's not 1989, you know, that was a viable excuse in 89 to say, oh yeah, well, because even back then, anytime Ace Fraley and Peter Chris aren't in the band, that's all anybody wants to ask Gene and Paul. What about Ace? What about Peter? What about Ace? What about Peter? Back then in 89, man, substances got in the way. That's pretty viable because look at some of the shit Ace Fraley had been up to around that period of time. Mm -hmm. Then you'd say, yeah, you're right. You know, Ace Fraley was pretty wrecked on drugs and really did have hard times. And it wasn't that long ago that Peter was having hard times with that shit himself. But in 2023, come on, man, you're going to have to come up with something better than that. Or be honest, like you said, we didn't want to cut them in on the pay. They don't want to do it for free. Yep. And so does that make them bad people in the eyes of the fans? Damn, I'd sure love it if Ace and Peter would come back and be a part of this farewell. Sure, wouldn't we all? But you say they wouldn't do it for free. Nobody's doing it for free. Yeah, why would they? <laughs> Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley wouldn't be doing this if it was free. Well, no. If somebody said to them back in 2000, you know, this is the farewell tour. We need you to sign this legally binding piece of paper that says from this day forward, you can never make another penny off of Kiss, the name, the brand, anything else from this moment forward. That would have been the end of Kiss right then and there. Because the only reason that they're doing this now is for the money. Because otherwise they'd have hung it up back when they still had a little bit of integrity to go along with it. Well, and as we've talked about many times on this show, they don't, honestly, Paul and Gene don't need Ace and Peter to show up. Well, I would, I'd almost rather them just be arrogant asses and just be honest about it and just say, we're going to sell out these shows anyway. So what does it matter? It's true. Yeah. No, see, that's true because yeah, you're right. They don't really need them. They don't. Because if the, if the shows are sold out anyway, then really that's a would be a poor investment on their part because they don't make an extra penny off of it, but they lose money because they're having to pay them. So then at that point, the only reason you would truly do it would be one of two reasons. Ace and Peter will do it for free, or you say, we're going to do this, we're going to take the hit financially to give it to the fans the way they deserve to give it to Ace and Peter the way they deserve. And everybody goes home happy, and we're going to take the hit. We'll take the financial hit for it to do the right thing. But nobody's going to do that. No, and they, they totally could, but I think, and I used to kind of say, well, they don't care about the fans anymore, but I'll make that, I'll put a caveat on that. They they don't care about the older fans. They only care about the ones that are 100% on board with the current lineup and are fine with just getting that for the final shows. And that's their prerogative. But I don't know. I, I did, I, you know, because now they're doing the pay-per-view of the final show. But do we really think yeah. anything different's going to happen? I really don't. No, it's going to be the same exact show that they've been doing since, well, for many, many years now. I did hear a rumor that it's possible Bruce gets up and does like a song with them. That's That would be probably the extent of it. I don't know how I feel about that. 
Because it always sucks when, I don't know, to to be a mere mortal on stage with Kiss, you know, and Kiss has got the makeup and the boots and the costumes and they're in their full, you know, full regalia. And then you're just a dude with a guitar, you know, standing next to him. That's, that was always the joke when they say, well, Ace could come back, but, you know, he would just have to come out and do a song with us. Ace Frehley is not going to stand next to Tommy Thayer while Tommy Thayer's dressed as the spaceman with his heels on, standing a full foot higher than Ace. And then Ace is just a normal human being playing guitar up there. You can't look cool. Well, I never expected Ace to get up there without makeup. No, and that's and that's kind of like the same thing with Bruce. You know, Bruce is too good to get up there and play. You just when Kiss is up there and they're Kiss, those guys are superhuman looking. Yeah, they're like superheroes. That'd be like the Avengers and me. <laughs> like, all right, oh come on, you look like an Avenger. Let's let's go get Thanos. You know, like. Who the fuck is this guy, Thor? I have no idea. You know, he doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of us. We're all eight feet tall and rippled with muscles. Then we got this guy, you know. What does he do? Nothing. He's a hell of a guy, though, and the the fans really love him. Yeah. But you just, it the, the, the visual of it doesn't work. You know, you can't stand next to Kiss if you're not in Kiss because you're never going to look as cool as the um, the rest of the guys, you know. I still think they... They could have made pretty much everyone happy and just hired Bruce and his band to open the tour. Yeah, it would have, that would have been that would have been the thing. No one could really complain. No, I don't know why they didn't do that. It it just made too much sense because plus they're going to stick to the same you know twenty two songs that they always play and it's mostly going to be seventy stuff. So let Bruce and his band open and play all the deep cut stuff. Yeah, and it, yeah. everyone would have had a great night. Here's the problem with that. Everybody walks away and they say, somebody says, hey, how was that show last night? Man, Kiss was pretty cool. You know, they did the stage show. They played the same, you know, famous songs that they always play. But man, let me tell you that opening band, you're not going to believe what they played. You know, they, they're busting out a different set every night. You know, they're doing all this amazing stuff that you never thought you'd hear, you know. And, and then people would walk away from them shows talking about Bruce Kulick band more favorably than Kiss. How was Kiss? Well, Kiss was Kiss. Just like they always are, you know, you know what Kiss is. They do the same thing every time. But that opening band with Bruce Kulick, man, they played, you know, they played No, No, No. You know, I can't believe they played that, you know, or some weird, like I said, like a deep cut off of Crazy Nights or something, you know? Yeah, well. And people get more excited about something like that. The old school, again, you're right. Not all the Kiss fans would, but the old school fans would. But here's the other thing about that. So if somebody's bringing their kid to see Kiss, for the first time, maybe the last time, they're a young person. And Kiss goes away after this. Like Gene Simmons, I have a hand on the Bible. This is it for us. If that's really true, then who are you trying to impress? Somebody that's coming for the last time and they go, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw Kiss one time when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, then what? Well, nothing. They were gone after that. Or do you think they're going to, that person that comes to see Kiss for the first time, now they're going to go back and they're going to buy everything you ever did throughout your whole career and, you know, buy every, you know, unreleased thing or whatever concerts, whatever you end, happen to release from the vaults in the future. You think you're hooking them, but at the expense of the original fans? 
Yeah. I don't know. I don't see the logic in that. Well, and it's it's kind of more evidence of are they do you, do we really think they'd be that insecure to not just throw Bruce a bone and have his him group his group open, but then it's kind of like we're talking about Kiss. So yeah, they probably yes. are. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> I mean, that's why they got the painter, isn't it? Yeah, because it's like, who the fuck does that as their opening act? Somebody who <laughs> doesn't want there to be any chance that anybody could ever say the opening act was a little bit better than Kiss, to be honest with you. I mean, Kiss was Kiss, but that opening thing was really great, you know? Like, man, I went to see Kiss last night. You know, Kiss is great. You know, all the bells and whistles. You know, Kiss is pretty amazing. But, man, that painter... <laughs> When he, when he flipped that shit over and it was a picture of Mick Jagger, my mind was blown. <laughs> well, the painter did have a better voice. Yeah. <laughs> Zero chance of that happening. But with Bruce Kulick band, yeah, pretty good chance of that happening. All right. We've delved far enough into the Kiss world. Um, new tour dates for Judas Priest. The Invincible Shield tour has been announced. Nice. Uh, it will be going from April through May and stops in Connecticut, up the up the eastern seaboard, some of the Midwest shows, Indianapolis, Illinois, Minnesota. The closest it's coming to here in Nashville looks to be Alpharetta, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta in May. So uh, might have to do a road trip to that one. Road trip. Playing at uh, Ameris Bank Amphitheater. Or we go back up to Indianapolis, man. I really like that town. Yeah, they're playing there at the Everwise Amphitheater at White River. Hmm. That's April 28th. Yeah. When is the release date on that album again? Uh, the Invincible Shield comes out on March 8th. March 8th. All right. Man, looking forward to that. 2024 is going to be a good year. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. And uh, by the time you hear this episode, you will have been able to hear the new single released off of Invincible Shield. I think it's some called Trial by Fire, I think. Right on. Yeah. Hopefully it's not a KISS cover. It's not. I know that. Much. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the hell? KISS ain't going to play it. Yeah. You only got one life to live. Heck yeah. We're about halfway through. You want to do the Camaro segment? Sure, sure. But before I do, I want to give a shout out to our friend John Harper, who sent me a care package of some very cool stuff. We were talking about Cyclone Temple, that band that I did the uh, Rock and Metal Combat podcast with Ralph and Ian, and we talked about that album that Rich Canamar suggested for us, and it was really good. And we even talked about them a little bit on this show, and we mentioned that they had a second album, and nobody really talked about that. Well, he sent me a copy of it. It's called My Friend Lonely. It's pretty cool, too. And then he also sent me a band called Widow's Rose. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. That's some cool stuff from the late 80s. It's an EP called Face to Face with Insanity. And I don't know that it's ever been like fully released, but he got himself a copy of it somehow and burnt me a copy of it. Man, for a band that never really made it, but these are all Chicago bands, they were really good. Hmm. And that was cool to check out. And then here's another one. I'm curious if anybody's ever heard of this Chicago band, a band called Hammer On. I haven't heard of them either. H-A-M-M-E-R-O-N, one word, Hammer On. And 
man, I never heard of that either. And it's pretty damn cool. And I really like that one a lot. That one really jumped out at me. So if you get a chance, you want to check out something old, but definitely probably new to you that's worthwhile, check out that band Hammer On. That stuff is pretty damn cool. Kind of got like a Scorpion's docking sort of thing going on with it. Maybe uh, more for the uh, Camaros cutout bin that people have been waiting for. Maybe someday. We only got, what, 11 years in between? Uh, We only got like eight more years to go. Come on. (laughs) Keep them wanting more. (laughs) I just love Camaro's cutout, Ben, because A, I get turned on to new music, and B, I don't have to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. We got to come up with something for you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's (laughs) GeekWire. Shit. Okay. Um, Let's see. How do we do this now? I've got... Rockstar Death Days, I've got albums to look forward to coming our way yet before the end of the year, and album anniversaries. Let's start there with some good old album anniversaries. So, in this time cycle of around the time you're listening to this episode, if you're listening to it when it's brand new, we've got a few anniversaries. So, we'll start back 15 years ago. This is one maybe one of the most highly anticipated albums of all time, if only because, much like Camaro's cutout bin, it was something that people had waited for for a long, long time. See, I learned everything I know from Axl Rose. Mm. It's the 15-year anniversary of Chinese democracy. Yay. I mean, I bet you bought it on release day, didn't you? Oh, I did, and I was disappointed with it on release day. (laughs) Man, I bought it on release day, and I mean, even before that, I remember hearing the first song, the title track, and the guitar on the title track is so cool. That riff is just badass. Yep. It's the best thing on the whole album, I think, just that riff at the beginning of the album. It's like, hell yeah, you know, and then once you start getting into the album, I think, I think on initial listen, I was shocked. I really wanted to like it so bad that I gave it more of what I think it deserved as far as love goes for it. It didn't take too long of listening to it to start going, you know, maybe some of this stuff ain't so great. And I think where I finally settled on it is that there is a handful of pretty decent songs on it, but there's also a lot of really weird shit too. Yeah, I think the the one big shining moment for for me on that record is the song "Better." I think that, that that's a pretty great song. The rest, I is, like that one. The rest, yeah. I could kind of take or leave. The title track's got a good riff. Yeah. So, I mean, shit. One of the highest anticipated albums ever, I'm sure, because I mean, it'd been so long. I, in retrospect, I kind of look at it and. I wish he'd have just called it the Axl Rose Band or just called it Axl Rose. Yeah. Because it's not truly a Guns N' Roses album. And when I when I got this on the iPod or I'm looking to listen to Guns N' Roses, I want this album separated from the rest. Mm-hmm. I don't want these songs coming up in the shuffle when I'm listening to stuff from Appetite and Use Your Illusion and Lies. Because to me, that's Guns N' Roses. This is Axl Rose and Friends. Yeah, I just I was excited to hear it just to finally hear it. Yeah. You know, we've all we had all read about all the different people that played on it over the years, so it was kind of like I wasn't expecting it to be great musically, really. I kind of figured it was going to be a mishmash, so I'm not going to say I was devastated by how 
bad it was, but it was also kind of like, it was just interesting to finally hear the fucking material. You know, right. it's like, we'd read about it for so many years. Yeah. And we did kind of have a warning ahead of time because he had the song off the, uh, Oh, what was that movie? It was a damn good movie too with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, end um, of days. End of days. Oh, that was a good movie. Yeah, I, like I like that, that one. one. Had the song off of there that was really kind of more like this, you know? And so that was the warning to say, Hey, this new guns and roses, not like the old Guns N' Roses. It's something completely different. So at least he gave us kind of a warning to ease into it a little bit. All right. Man, that was a good movie. I had to pull that out and watch it again. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. All right. So then let's jump back 20 years from there, back to 2003. Don't talk a lot about Dream Theater, as a matter of fact, but we just did talk about them not too long ago on a recent GeekWire. We talked about Mike Portnoy rejoining the band. This will be the 20-year anniversary of the album Train of Thought. Myself, I'm not a huge Dream Theater fan. You know, I've always said I don't like to listen to music when i got to have a calculator in my hand figuring out how does this work and how did they do that. And I don't want to think about it. I just want to rock. But with this Dream Theater album, this is more my speed because this is one you can put on and, for the most part, just kind of rock out to. You know about Train of Thought? I don't know that I've ever listened to it. I'm not no. big into Dream Theater. <laughs> to be if, honest, if I that. was if I was going to recommend somebody to start on Dream Theater, which I haven't even listened to all of Dream Theater, but I do know that from what I've heard as a whole, this one's my favorite because I think I think you consider this one to be like the metal Dream Theater album. This is the heavy one, hmm. which I mean they've all got moments of heaviness on it, but I think throughout. This one's the best by them I ever heard. Back in 2003, it came out. Train of Thought. Give me your thoughts on that one in the in the comments section of this episode. If you love that Dream Theater album, is it their best? You tell me. Also celebrating a 20-year anniversary, not just maybe a week or two later after that one came out. Korn's album, Take a Look in the Mirror. That was a pretty good one. It was the very last one they came out with Brian Head Welch before he left the band. He'd come back years later. This is the one. This was a big time of soundtracks because the song Did My Time was on the Laura Croft Tomb Raider soundtrack, which is a pretty damn good song. And one of my all-time favorite Korn songs, just because it's so damn lippy, Y'all Want a Single. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, I, I think I liked this album when it came out. Yeah, I did too. I, this is one of my favorite Corn albums too. And especially that song, Y'all Want a Single, because it took me back to when Corn was first a thing and I was working on radio and people would call me in the night shift and be like, play some Corn," And I'd be like, I don't have any. They won't let me play it. And then I'd go to my boss and I'd say, hey, can, can, we play, can I play some Corn?" And he'd be like, no, they don't have a single. And I'd say, yeah, but I'm getting tons of requests for them. And I even, because the guy I'm talking about is Nick Summers, was my, was the, like the main man DJ. I just recently had a conversation with him, was listening to his old band, Dizzy Lane, and he would say, they don't have a single. And I'd say, yeah, but I'm getting so many requests for them, you know, and people were really getting mad at me for not playing corn. And I'd say, please, you know, let me play some corn. If nothing else, you know, get everybody off my back. And he'd say, well, if they had a single, I'd, I'd give it to you. I'd let you play it. And then finally, one day I saw on TV that Follow the Leader had came out and Korn finally had a single. And I was so excited to go to work that night. And before I could even say anything, he handed it to me. And I was like, yes, you know, finally, 
I can play some corn and everybody's going to be so happy. And then when this song came out, it made me smile and chuckle and think about those times that they weren't a band that had singles. They were just this heavy thing that was new and different, and most people didn't understand it, but a lot of people were really into it because it was so heavy and different. And then they started having singles to the point where it was like, now you're corn, you're expected to write songs that can also be radio singles. And for them, that was probably not really easy. Yeah, for sure. And I always took that song as kind of a one of those good attitude songs, a good, you know, F you kind of song. Well, Corn was always good at doing those. Yeah, for sure. All right, from there, let's jump back 25 years back to 1989. Some of you kids might not remember. That was a long time ago. This is a big, important one to me. This was another one that was right in my radio heyday when this came out. And this was something, this means a lot to me, this one here, because it was one of my all-time favorite bands. And then they changed so much that I didn't even really like them that much anymore. And I'm talking about Metallica. Like, coming up as a kid, Metallica was like one of the coolest bands on the face of the earth. And then by the 90s, they really kind of, they kind of just latched on to the alternative thing. And it seemed like at the time, you know, between them cutting their hair and changing the sound and the style of their songs, really seemed like they had sold out to somebody that was a a longtime fan, you know. Yeah, they gained all kinds of new fans, which is great, you know, for them in the long run. And I'm glad to know that it was all just kind of a phase. And what made me realize and feel better about it being kind of a phase was when Garage Inc. came out. Because Garage Inc. not only had all these kick-ass cover songs on it, but it was more of a throwback sound to the Black Album than it was off of like Load or Reload or Saint Anger and stuff like that. So Metallica Garage Incorporated, to me, even though it was like mostly a covers album, was a big comeback album, in my, my opinion, for Metallica. It might be my favorite guitar sound on a Metallica album, at least during that whole era. Because yeah, it's that was even more so than the material. One of my gripes about that the load and unload era was how watered down the guitars just seemed to sound, and it yeah. just, there just wasn't that aggressive edge to them. But on this one, it's it's back, and I mean it's almost demo style you know, dem- recording quality, but it, but that helps it, I think. Yeah. it almost gives it like a, a kill them all kind of feel yep. to it. Almost like it's, well, it's very garagey. Yeah. The guitars have to have teeth for it to work for Metallica to me. Yeah. So that was a pretty big deal. Do I need to hear the cover of the Bob Seger song ever again? No, <laughs> no probably not. You know, I've heard that enough times. Do I need to hear wh- uh, whiskey in the jar? You know, I say no, but then when I do hear it every once in a while on the radio or something, I go, yeah, that was pretty damn cool. I really actually do like that quite a bit. Yeah. But, you know, even at that, songs you've heard a million times, sometimes you still got to admit they're pretty damn cool and everybody loves them for a reason. Metallica's Garage Inc. full of those. Let's see. Also celebrating a 25-year anniversary, the second album by Marvelous 3. We just talked about them a week or two ago. And I'm talking about the Hey album. It was their second album. It was self-released by the band. And then Elektra heard it 
and signed them. So there's a, a original version out there, and then there's an electro version out there. This one featured the song Freak of the Week. It's probably their biggest hit. Yeah, I love that record. That I don't think there's a bad song on it. No, that's a pretty good one. All right, so then let's jump back 30 years to the heart of the grunge era, 1993. Man, you can't talk about grunge without talking about heart. (laughs) (laughs) And the 30-year anniversary of the album Desire Walks On. I know that's probably not one a lot of people think of when they think of heart. You know, you think about Dreamboat Annie, you think about albums like that, the classic stuff. But 1993, they come out with that album. It's the last album to feature the classic rhythm section. Like, people think of Heart, they think of the sisters. But there was a band, too. It wasn't just the Wilson sisters. The band was Heart. This was the last album to feature the rest of the band before they cut them loose. And, you know, if it's 1993, oh, what the hell, let's have Lane Staley help us sing a song on it. Did you know that? Lane Staley appears on the heart album desire walks on i think i heard about that i don't know if i've ever heard the song but i mean heart is a seattle band yeah so it makes sense yes the original grunge band heart that's what i'm telling you man guns and roses loves to release albums in the month of november apparently uh celebrating a 30-year anniversary this time around of the spaghetti incident Mm. were you excited about the spaghetti incident when it came out no I I wasn't really that interested in covers albums at the time, and it was also them covering a lot of artists that it took me longer to get into. So I was not snobby. I was narrow minded in what I liked at that time. So I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really give it much of a chance at the time. Not me, man. I didn't give a shit. I just looked at it as a new Guns and Roses album when it came out, and then when I listened to it, it's it's the covers they picked were so good. Because for the most part, other than maybe Nazareth Hair the Dog, it's all stuff that I'd never even heard before at that point. Yeah. And so then what this does is not only does it give me a really good Guns N' Roses album of songs that, if I didn't know any better, could have been Guns N' Roses songs, it gives me a place to go, huh, this is pretty damn cool. What is Rose Tattoo? Maybe I should look into this right. and, and see what this is. Or some of the other bands that they covered on there, with the exception of Charles Manson. <laughs> <laughs> it's a decent cover, though. Or what was the uh, the other one, the, the single off there, the weird old song? Uh, if I Don't Have You. If I Can't Have if You. If I Can't Have You. Yeah. They had a video was, for that, too. That's right. Yeah, because the video threw me off at first. I thought, I'm not going to like this. Yeah, I didn't like that. I did. I love the Nazareth cover. Yeah, Nazareth cover is really cool. A lot of cool stuff on there. I like that album. That's one I still listen to to the day. So I put that in now and still rock it out. And then also celebrating a 30-year anniversary, their 11th studio album. This was when Motorhead was a four-piece band. They came out with the album Bastards. I consider this one to be pretty highly underrated because, well, if any other reason, it was Motorhead in 1993, and they're still coming out with pretty damn good records. Even in 1993, I don't think a lot of people were really all that excited about Motorhead in 93. I remember them starting to get some attention with um, the movie Airheads. That seemed to kind of bring bring them back a little bit. Right, because the song Born to Raise Hell is on this album, and then they do the version for the soundtrack that's got Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe and Ice-T on it. 
There's a great video for that song. Pretty cool too. too. Yeah. I love that movie, Airheads. That's one of my favorites and probably one of the best soundtracks ever. Yeah, the soundtrack's great on that. Yeah, all kinds of great stuff on that soundtrack. That's a good one. I'd put that right up there as one of the best ever. All right, so then let's jump back 35 years. Yeah, we're getting old now, 1988. Uh, Man of War, their sixth <laughs> studio album, Kings of Metal. This was their sixth studio album, the very last album with Ross the Boss on guitar. Now, this is kind of weird because I don't, I'm don't, i not super knowledgeable about Man of War. What I know, I like. What I like, I know. But what I don't know, I don't know. And their career is kind of split in half if you look at their discography. So the first half, say maybe six-ish albums, it's got Ross the Boss. And then the last, one, last six albums that came out don't have him. But the amount of time is different. So, like, when Ross the Boss was in the band, they're banging out album year after year after year. And then after he leaves in 88, then it, they start getting a little sporadic. Then it's, like, years in between albums. So Ross the Boss kept those guys on track, kept them coming out with new albums all the time. After he leaves, I guess they maybe they got a little lazy after that. But Man of War's still around to this day. And I hate to be honest, but <laughs> I always viewed him as kind of a punchline, you know, it, like a novelty act. Because the loincloths. Yeah, I mean, and, well, and I, but I've tried listening to the music, and it just it comes off more like comedy to me. I don't think so. Okay, maybe I I'm don't wrong. think so. I like Man of War, but it's like that's kind of like D and D rock too. You know, that's something you wanna. You want to listen to while you're putting together a campaign or something with your well, buddies. But yeah, well, similar with like some power metal, like Hammerfall is right. a very famous power metal band. And I've tried listening to them and I laugh when I listen to it. Doesn't mean they're trying to be funny, but to me, it comes off funny. Yeah. You what know? about those bands that are like pirate rock? Oh, God. No. Kind of the same? Can't stand it. Yeah. <laughs> it's there's talent there and there's an audience for it. I'm just not in that audience. Yeah, oh yeah, there's definitely talent to it. But then you could say that stuff about a lot of Dio songs too, especially the early stuff when it sure. was more fantasy, you know, involved. That that stuff had to grow on me too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's a place for it, definitely. All right. And since we are in the month of G in November. We got more Guns N' Roses, yeah. Celebrating the 35-year anniversary of Guns N' Roses' Lies. Now, this album was a big freaking deal because this was the follow-up to Appetite for Destruction. And here's something I'm going to tell you that's kind of interesting, and I hadn't thought about this in years until I was putting this list together, is that for the longest time in my youth, when this came out, I thought the album was called Guns N' Roses' Lies, Lies, Lies. Oh, yeah. Did you ever think that? No, we just called it GNR Lies. Did you just call it Lies? Me and my friends all called it Lies, 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 because it says it three times across the album cover, hmm. and that's what we thought it was forever. And I hadn't thought about that in years. Somewhere along the line, I guess I figured it out and just started saying it the right way. I was like, I'm never going to tell anybody I got this wrong for so many years. But <laughs> yeah, we all called it Lies, Lies, Lies. Uh, we always just called it GNR Lies. Huh. Let me know in the show notes if you were a goofball like me and were calling it something else all them years. I was curious about that. But yeah, GNR Lies, that was another one too. Kind of weird because it's, you know, you come out of Appetite for Destruction and you think, ah, oh, I can't wait for the next Guns N' Roses to come out. And, and then it's all acoustic. Yeah. 
And it's like, man, this stuff is really cool, but you know, why don't it rock like the other stuff? Oh, I love, I love lies. I wore that tape out, and it was yeah, me too. And in, in my circle of friends, that album just got passed between all of us, and we would just play it constantly. Oh yeah, for sure. Because hey, if you're our age, then you know, you know, you lived through it when that stuff was was out and it was new. Man, Guns N' Roses, when Lies came out, the biggest band on the planet, no question about it. Yeah, for sure. Man, love that stuff. Okay, all right. Let's jump back 45 years ago to 1978. This one's kind of a stretch, but I like me some George Thorogood and the Destroyers. This is the 45-year anniversary of the album Move It On Over. And what I didn't realize was that looking at it, this is a cover album. It's a tribute album. I had no idea. But George Thorogood or the Destroyers do not write a single song on this album. Of course, it's got the song Move It On Over, which is an old blues cover. It's got, uh, what's the cover of the Door song that he does? Uh, not Break On Through. Uh, Who Do You Love Oh, is on there. That's not a Door song. No, but it was a song like the Doors made famous, but it's an old blues song, right? I don't know that the Doors did that song. Yes, they did. You sure? I'm certain of it. I'll have to look that up. I don't think I've heard them do that. Yeah, check that out. It's a good one. I like the, I like the Doors version of it, too. I like George Thorogood's version of it. Mm. But, yeah, I didn't realize the whole album is covers, but George Thorogood does that from time to time. He really loves giving it back to the original blues players. So that's a pretty good album right there by him. I'd be curious in the comment section how many of listeners of the decibel geek podcast get down with some george thorogood myself i dig it i, I think he I, I think he's awesome i love you know and these are covers too but i always love one bourbon one scotch one beer and um i drink alone i love those too. yeah i drink alone is really awesome what about get a haircut and get a real job i like that one too yeah <laughs> <laughs> kind of silly but still pretty damn cool uh, speaking of bands that influenced Guns N' Roses, back in 1978, Rose Tattoo comes out with their debut album, self-titled at the time. Later on, it gets released around the world, and it's mostly everywhere else called Rock and Roll Outlaw. Man, if you don't know about Rose Tattoo, this was a band that probably should have been a lot bigger than what they were, because they were a really good, straight-up hard rock band. Uh, this album also includes the song Nice Boys, which appears on the Guns N' Roses Live Like a Suicide that was also tacked on with GNR Lies. And I always thought, you know, well, if Guns N' Roses are covering that, then Rose Tattoo must be an older band, but only 10 years earlier. So, I mean, somehow Guns N' Roses got their hands on Rose Tattoo. Yeah, it was because of Guns N' Roses that I've heard of them. Yeah, right, because otherwise I don't know that so many people would. But that song is awesome. The song Rock and Roll All Laws Kick-Ass. That whole album is actually really damn good. I recommend that to just about anybody that loves hard rock and metal music. Okay, so now we're getting back into the classic era. We're talking 50 years ago. Man, we got some legendary ones here. Start out with this one. This is funny. I've got to talk to you about a video I saw recently, but it's the 50-year anniversary of the John Lennon album Mind Games. It was his fourth album outside of the Beatles. It was recorded while he was fighting with the FBI to not get kicked out of the United States. It's an all right album. 
my favorite song in here is a tune called Tight Ass. And it's a pretty heavy John Lennon tune. I like that one a lot. But what I really want to talk about here, and I'm hoping you've seen this because it is epic. So recently I saw this video of John Lennon getting to play with his idol Chuck Berry live on stage. Have you seen this? Oh, yeah, where, when Yoko starts singing. And they cut off her mic? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's epic. So if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you right now. So they're doing Johnny Be Good, and it's cool, you know, because you got Chuck Berry up there, and he's doing his thing, and he's rocking, and, and John Lennon's up there, he's got his guitar, and they're rocking together, and they're singing together. You just see the look on John Lennon's face like... This is amazing. And then you got Yoko Ono in the background, and she starts making these fucking noises. It's not even singing. It's whatever the hell she's doing. And it's like, what? And the great thing is, like, you see when she starts doing it, like Chuck Berry's face goes, what the fuck? The guys get as big as saucers. I can't even mimic the noise she's making, but it's really, really weird. It's like the worst yodeling ever. Yodeling's bad. This is worse than yodeling, whatever it is she's trying to do. But they're up on stage with damn Chuck Berry. And somebody gives her a microphone, and she decides to start doing that shit. Like That'd be like if like two epic people got together, and we're going to sing a song, and then I got up on stage and just started screaming nonsense. Yeah. While they're performing, like takes you totally out of it. And some masterful engineer who's running the soundboard goes, oops, and kills her mic real fast. Kudos to you, sir, wherever you may be, live or dead, you, sir, are a hero. Yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that was on the Mike Douglas show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I just saw that for the first time recently, man. Insane. What the hell was he thinking of? Crazy-ass Yoko Ono. One of the greatest villains of all time. (laughs) (laughs) She's probably a very nice lady. (sighs) Nice people don't do stuff like that. Well, it just, please don't sing. Yeah, well, nice people don't do stuff like that. Just be quiet, play your little bongo drum, and... Let people enjoy this epic moment in rock history. It doesn't have to be about you, and you don't have to ruin this. It's almost like you have to have the mindset of, I'm going to ruin this. How can I ruin this? Oh, I know what I'll do. Give me that microphone. Hold my bongo. Watch this shit. Nobody in their right mind thinks, oh, this will make this song so much better if I add this to it. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's it's crazy, and you'll be so thankful to the guy that shut off her microphone. Yep. I wonder what the hell she said when she found out. <laughs> Who knows? Thwart it again. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it, too. Oh, man. All right. Also, celebrating a 50-year anniversary, man. We got two right here. The, the, we got three to round this out. And these are three of the most awesome albums of all freaking time right here. So when this is all said and done, out of all these albums we talk about today, these are the three you probably definitely want to go back and visit at this time around, at this time of year. 
because this is the 50-year anniversary of the seventh album from Alice Cooper. Technically back then, you know, the Alice Cooper band, back when it was a band. Talking about the album Muscle of Love. Mm. Oh, so good, man. I love this album so much. This is kind of an underrated Alice Cooper album, I think, because when people talk about, like, their favorite Alice Cooper albums. I don't think this one really comes up a lot. But when I listen to it, I go, man, I forget how good this album is and how many great songs are on this thing and how deep these songs are. This is a sexy album. It's a different album. I do like it. Um, this was a, a weird time for the band because I, if I'm remembering right, they didn't want Bob Ezrin to work on this one. Yeah. And... Um, they end up getting Jack Richardson and Jack Douglas to do it, both of which had worked with Bob Ezrin in the past. But I don't know that I love this album as much as other people do. I do like certain no. songs. I like Teenage Laments, a good song. I like Hard Hearted yeah. Alice. Yeah. Um, of course, Man with the Golden Gun was submitted yeah. to be used in the movie, but then they rejected it. What What's the opening track? Um, Big Apple Dreamin'. Big Apple Dreamin'. I love that song. Yeah. And the title track is amazing. They did the, um, well, we saw them do the title track when they had the, the guys from the original band come out. That was so cool. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it's a great album, I think. One of Alice Cooper's most underrated. Yeah, and it doesn't come up in conversation often. I don't think so. Not enough, and it should. All right, so you got to check that one out, too. But here's one nobody ever needs an excuse to listen to. It's the 50-year anniversary of the fifth Black Sabbath album, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Holy shit. This album, and like I've told the story, my dad had Black Sabbath records, but he didn't have this one. He had up to volume four, but he didn't have Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. And I remember the first time I saw Sabbath Bloody Sabbath was in the library of the high school I went to. Because fortunately, at the Merrill Senior High, which used to be a thing way back in the day, they had a library that was curated, musically curated, by the students over the years. So the high school had the most epic LP collection. I wish I had their collection then, now, because they probably had some stuff in there that you probably can't find anywhere else nowadays. So they had this in there, and I remember getting it out and looking at it, just the cover of the album going, oh, maybe Black Sabbath really is evil. <laughs> fucking evil cover. Yeah. And then the reverse cover on the back is, is, I mean, the artwork's amazing. And it just kind of pulls you in of like, Oh, this is some spooky shit. You know, I've been listening to Sabbath all these years and never really thought about it because you, you don't get that feeling off of Paranoid, you know, and you don't get that feeling off the artwork of Volume 4, but you definitely get the feeling of, okay, this is what I'm in for when you listen to this. Mm. And the songs on here are so good. I mean, you got the title track, you got Sabracadabras on here, Killing Yourself to Live, which is one of my all-time favorite Sabbath songs, who are you looking for today? Spiral Architect. That's the one I love. Yeah. National Acrobat. Not a bad song on here. I mean, even Fluff. I always appreciated instrumental pieces they would use to link the songs together. And I always thought, yeah, Tony Iommi can write 
big crushing riffs and he's known for that. But at the same time, he could do some of the most beautiful little musical interludes in between the songs. Yeah, that used to confuse me when I was younger because, like, you'd be listening to Sabbath just rocking out, and then all of a sudden this beautiful floaty piece, you know, just shows up, and it's like kind of takes you out of the moment. But then I guess what it does is takes you out of the moment, so then it can punch you in the face right when it comes out of it, you know. Here, take a breath for a moment. Just kidding. Boom, here you go. Black Sabbath. Yeah. Gotta love that, man. I love this album so much. If you haven't listened to Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath in a while, you gotta do it. You know, this one don't have like War Pigs or the songs that you're gonna hear constantly on the Sirius XM, or if you're ever lucky enough to hear a song on the radio besides Paranoid or War Pigs. This don't have any of that stuff. But what it does have is eight epic tracks from one of the greatest bands of all time, These guys are all on top of their game when this album comes out. It's all so good. It's overlooked, I think, but definitely should not be overlooked any longer. I implore you, give that one a chance. And then we're going to jump back for one more. It's a pretty important album. Celebrating a 55-year anniversary, it's the Beatles' White Album. I've heard of that one. Yeah, I bet you have. Probably one of the most epic and important albums of all time. Yeah, I agree. I own the box set for it. Yeah? Yep. Has it got any kind of extra stuff on it on the box set, or is it just... Yeah, it's got a bunch on it. I yeah. need to. I still have to crack it open. I bought it from Al Horda, one of our friends, and uh, I still have yet to open it up, but it's got a ton of shit on it. Wow. Yeah, this one for me, man, I just, I don't know, man. I came up in the era of liking Kiss and Motley Crue and Poison, Guns N' Roses. I didn't have no time for no Beatles. That's old people music. I don't listen to the Beatles. Sha-la-la, hold my hand. I ain't doing all that. But then in my teenage years, when I started smoking a little weed, At a party one time, somebody pulled out the actual LP, it must have been their parents, of the White Album. And I I remember being like, what are we listening to? What is this? Because you don't hear these songs on the radio. You know, this ain't the the poppy Beatles that everybody knows, you know. Ticket to Ride, that kind of stuff. That's not this. So when this is playing, I'm like, what is this? They're like, oh, this is the Beatles. I was like, this is the Beatles? And you're hearing back in the USSR and Glass Onion and thinking, man, this isn't the Beatles. I know this shit's heavy. Helter Skelter. Yeah. And I mean, you still got stuff like Obla D, Obla Da. Oh, you sure. Know, and, then, and, then, yeah. and, and silly stuff like, you know, Bungalow Bill and things like that. But... I mean, some of my favorite Beatles songs on here, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, mm. is gorgeous, beautiful song. Happiness is a warm gun is a trip. I mean, take a couple puffs off a joint and listen to that, man. Especially when you're a teenager, you're like, whoa. <laughs> I remember how proud of myself I was when I learned how to play Blackbird on the acoustic. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a pretty one. What else is on there? I'm So Tired is a good song. Why don't we do it in the road? <laughs> That's a weird song. 
I love that song. That's like heavy metal Beatles almost. <laughs> uh, Your Blues is awesome. Like I, like I said, I'm listening to this going, this is the Beatles? This shit's heavy. Remember we did the heavier side of the Beatles way back in the day. One of the heaviest songs they ever did. Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Yeah. We concluded that on there. Helter Skelter, of course. Revolution. I mean, that's that's pretty epic. One of the earliest songs with distortion on the guitar. Yeah, you get some of that stuff on here. Um, even some of the slower stuff like Cry Baby Cry and, man, Sexy Sadie's an awesome song. Yep. Yeah, you got to love it, man. This really, this was the album that changed my heart and my mind about the Beatles to go, that's old people, oldies, AM stuff that I don't listen to to go, you know, maybe there's a reason why people say the Beatles are the greatest band of all time. You know, maybe I should check out some more of this stuff. And then you then you go back and you go, okay, well, there's Revolver, and then there's the other albums and later career stuff, you know, and go, you know what, there's a reason why these people think the Beatles are the best, and it's not because of Love, Love Me Do. You know, it's because of this stuff right here. And so this album means a lot to me because it totally changed my mind on the Beatles, gave me a brand new appreciation and made me agree that yeah without a doubt the beatles are one of the greatest bands of all time savoy truffle hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just learned today that the song savoy truffle is about eric clapton i didn't know that yeah george harrison wrote it because he hung out with eric clapton quite a bit and uh even though eric clapton had rotten teeth and had toothaches all the time, he was addicted to chocolates. And so if like somebody had a box of chocolates in the room, they'd be like, oh, would you like a chocolate? And he'd say, sure. And then next thing you know, he'd have eaten the whole box. Wow. And so the song Savoy Truffle was dedicated to him about rotting out his own teeth, but not being able to stop himself from doing it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't. I had no idea. <laughs> the things you learn on the Geek Wire. <laughs> so there you have it. Those are your album anniversaries, man. A bunch of really cool ones there. Go back, listen to the White Album. Give Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, another listen. Same with Muscle of Love, man. Those three right there. All them Guns and Roses. The Metallica Garage Incorporated. Well, maybe all the Guns and Roses except for Chinese Democracy, but. You know, you got some Dream Theater in there, corn, all that good stuff. So those are your album anniversaries. Enjoy those. A good time of year to go back and check those things out. So with that being said, let's look at the people that we want to remember around this time of year. I'm saying that real slowly as I scroll on down. You can't even tell I'm doing it. All right, where am I? <laughs> except when you tell us that you're doing it. Yeah, except I ruined, you know, third wall's been broken. All right, let's see. All right, so we'll go back a little bit because there was a few we missed between the last time and this time. We want to get a little caught up on it. So let's go back to the 10th of November in 2017. At the age of 57, we lost Chuck Mosley, who was... The lead singer, I'd say, a lot of people would say the original lead singer of Faith No More, but Faith No More has been around for years. They just never recorded nothing. Had a bunch of different lead singers, including at one point Courtney Love, until they finally settled in on Chuck Mosley and recorded their first two albums, which are known for We Care A Lot 
Man, what else? As the worm turns, yeah, some good stuff, man. I like that early Faith No More stuff. Unfortunately, wasn't meant to be. The guy did a lot of drugs back in those young days and was, a, I guess, pretty much a pain in everybody's ass, and he ends up getting fired from Faith No More. They didn't really want to fire him, I guess, so they all quit hmm. and then like reformed without him as a way to do it, I guess. That's kind of a shitty thing to do. Yeah, like, hey, we're quitting the band. You're like, oh, damn. And then you're like, okay, we're not really quitting the band. We're just like firing him without telling him. (laughs) This guy, man, you read the story, it's kind of sad because he struggled for a long time. Obviously, getting kicked out of Faith No More is kind of a bummer because they they find a new lead singer. The guy from a band called Mr. Bungle, you might know him, a guy named Mike Patton. And then next thing you know, they come out with an album, and they're fucking huge. And this guy goes, oh, what the hell, you know? We were struggling. And then they get this other guy, and all of a sudden, they're the biggest thing in the world. And now, only I am struggling. And he went on, you know, he tried different projects and different things over the years, but... Man, never reached those heights that he did with Faith No More, even though his heights with the band weren't that high. But he was a rocker, and he tried, you know, had real jobs and everything, just like the rest of us Joes, carried on, you know, had the rock and roll heart, never truly gave it up. And then in 2017, at the age of 57, man, we've seen it a million times. When you get to be that age, and you haven't done drugs in a long time, it's never a good time to go, you know, I haven't done heroin in a while. Maybe I'll just try a little bit. That's no big deal. Dead. 57 years old. We're too old to be doing drugs. Don't do the death drugs. That shit will kill you. Just like it killed Chuck Mosley. Just kind of a bummer because at the end of his life, he'd kind of reconciled with the band. And they were actually taking him out sometimes and letting him get up on stage with them and do a couple of them old songs. So, I mean, it was cool to see at the end of his life he was getting some recognition, but then, you know, bad drugs. That sucks. You don't want to go out like Chuck Mosley. You want to go out like Mitch Mitchell. Yeah, from the Jimi Hendrix experience. Mitch Mitchell lived to be 62 years old when he passed away back in 2008. And what was he doing at 62 years old? Man, he was on tour doing the Experience Hendrix tour, and he passed away in his hotel room, rocking and rolling up to the very end. I saw him on that tour. Yeah? Yeah, I came here to Nashville, and I saw him at 3rd and Lindsley. Nice. He was awesome. Yeah, I bet he was, man. Even at 62 years old, that's kick-ass. See, that's the way you want to go out, rocking up to the very end. Don't be like Chuck Mosley. Be like Mitch Mitchell. Don't do drugs. Well, I bet you I can't really say that. Mitch Mitchell probably did a lot of drugs back in the 60s. Probably a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, a lot of acid, I'm guessing. But not when he was 62 years old. He just died of being an old rocking man. Ain't nothing wrong with that. All right, so then back in 2015, on the 12th, At the age of 61, the filthy animal of Motorhead, Phil Taylor, passed away. Man, that guy been rocking out with Motorhead for a good many years. But he was a party animal. You don't get a name like filthy animal without being a filthy animal. (laughs) 
which is exactly what he was. That guy partied his ass off his whole life, so it wasn't too surprising when he passed away at the age of 61 to liver failure. Yeah, he, he definitely liked to indulge. Yeah, that'll do it. That's a bummer. That guy's legendary. Speaking of legends, here's one. Man, this was a bummer. This wasn't that long ago, and it feels like yesterday. Back in 2017 at the age of 64, man, this poor guy, he had multiple things going on with him, but, man, he lived a long, awesome life. Talking about co-founder of ACDC and the writer of so many epic riffs, the one and only Malcolm Young. Always felt like Malcolm Young, you know, never really got the credit he deserved until after he passed away and people started realizing, hey, you know, yeah, Angus and Bond, those guys were always right up front. Even Brian Johnson, right up front. You know, album covers, the lead singer and Angus, always right up front. But who was the true backbone? Who was the true, true talent in ACDC? Well, when it came up to coming up with iconic riffs that you'll never forget, that distinction goes to Malcolm. Feels like it was wasn't that long ago that he passed. That's what I'm saying. It was 2017, but man, it still feels like it was pretty recent, and could, maybe because it still hurts a little bit. Because yeah. that was a sad day. Because you know they're still doing it, you know. And then that album came out, Power Up, and it had songs on there that he had written. I mean, that was that was it, you know. That was really. That was really kind of the end of ACDC. And yeah, in a lot of ways, they're still around. And they still did come out with that album. I listened to that uh, yesterday. It's good. It's still good. I mean, they really, as far as we talk shit about bands that leave us with crappy final albums. If that's ACDC's final album, and I'm betting that it is, then that's a pretty damn good way to go out. Mm -hmm. Cheers to Malcolm Young. All right, so then back in 2007 on the 19th, at the age of 52, here's another one. This is the perfect example of don't do drugs over a certain age, especially the powdery substances that'll kill you. Quiet Riot longtime lead vocalist Kevin Dubrow passes away at the age of 52. This is another guy was off the hard drugs for years and years and years. And one weekend... Probably hanging out with some young people. Somebody probably offers him a line. He thinks, yeah, what the hell? You know, back in my day, I did more coke than you guys could ever imagine. What's a couple of little tutors to an old pro like myself? Dead. Don't go out like Kevin Dubrow. That's sad. Yep. And he was found in his Las Vegas home. I don't think they found him right away. I think he was in there for a minute before I think they it was found him. Like a couple of days. Yeah, that sucks. And you know, shit. I mean, Kevin Dubrow. You think about the early days of MTV and how iconic Quiet Riot was, is, and was at the time because, man, they were something different. And love them or hate them. They were the front runners of that whole Sunset Strip scene, you know, the whole thing that kicked off that would bring us Rat and Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and all these great bands. It all really started with Quiet Riot. They were the first ones to break through to the mainstream to where kids in Wisconsin and kids in Tennessee would get to hear that stuff. People that had never even been anywhere close to Los Angeles, California, were now hearing 
hard rock and metal that was emanating from there. And it was really because Quiet Riot knocking that freaking door down, kicking it in, and everybody else following them through. Yeah, that video was one of the first things that stuck with me when I was a kid. Yeah, me too, man. I remember seeing that and being like, whoa, you know, like, because I listened to Kiss. You know, I was a little kid listening to Kiss. Probably shouldn't have been, but they let me, so I did. And, you know, and then to see Quiet Riot and go, okay, all right, so there is other stuff like Kiss, you know, and it was like, they were heavy, they were cool looking, they had long hair, they had, their guitars were cool looking, it's like, all right, you know, so there is other stuff besides Kiss, you know. Did I like it as much as Kiss? No, but it was cool to know that there was other stuff, and then from there, that opened the floodgates to then it's, like you said, Motley Crue and Rat and Poison and all the bands that I would fall in love with and go, okay, so because I like Kiss... That means I also like Quiet Riot. That means I also like all these other bands. And then it opened the door to everything. You know, Kiss was always the gateway drug, but you know what? Quiet Riot opened the door for so many other bands, you know, and I don't think to this day even, I don't think Quiet Riot gets the credit that they deserve for being that band, the very first one to really be that breakthrough band that paved the way. All right, so then we just got a few more to go right here. Uh, I want to remember this one because back in 2021, at the age of 49, after years of hard, hard living, on the 19th, we lost Hank Von Hell from Turbo Negro, one of my all-time favorite bands, man. That guy was an epic lead vocalist, a hell of a songwriter, and just knew how to write fun rock songs and is one of my personal heroes. I was really sad when he passed away. Because that was a guy that I didn't discover that band until later on in life. And by that time, he was already out of the band. And so then he did some of his own stuff. And then, you know, in 2021, he was gone, you know. So bust out some Turbo Negro. I'm telling you, that band is awesome. If you love the kind of stuff we love, there's no reason why you wouldn't love them. And then two more, they both on the same day, exact same day. One of them, everybody talks about. The other one, well, probably more revered around here. Talking about 1991 on the 24th, the passing of Freddie Mercury and Eric Carr. Sad day. Yeah, really sad day. I wasn't a Queen fan at the time. I really didn't keep up with that band at all. Didn't really care that Freddie Mercury had died. But man, I was devastated when Eric Carr died. And... I think maybe another reason, like I said, when I came up in the MTV era and was listening to Queen songs, Radio Goo Goo Gaga bullshit, I was like, Queen sucks. But then what really burned me was when Eric Carr passed away and then watching MTV to hear an announcement about it. And it's like, Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury. Oh, and Eric Carr, too. Yeah. And that made me mad i did not like that i i wasn't really a fan of so much of a queen at that time i obviously knew who they were but i remember that he was looking rough in like the last few videos they had done and then there was a lot of rumors that he had aids leading up to it i remember that um so when he passed i obviously it was sad but i wasn't surprised by that but then they followed that up because I remember watching MTV that morning, getting ready for school. They announced that. I'm like, Oh, that sucks. 
And they go, and in other news, Kiss drummer Eric Carr died, and that completely floored me. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it literally about knocked my legs out from under me when I saw it. Because I didn't even, I don't know that, I remember that he had been sick and, you know, was fighting off the cancer. But back then, Kiss was so tight-lipped on their PR that they always painted a rosy picture of everything. Right. Yeah, it didn't really seem like it was that big of a deal. And when you're young like that, you know, death is different. You you view it differently. Like, I view death differently now at an older age than I certainly did as a teenager. You know, death seemed like a very far away thing. And so when Eric Carr died, I think that was like one of the first times that one of my personal rock heroes had passed away. Yeah, you hear about the older guys dying, you know, guys that, that my dad was into, guys that my uncle liked, guys that my older cousins liked. But Eric Carr was the first one, I think, that was one of my dudes Yeah, that passed away. And it's like, oh, shit, you know, this is real. And I'll never forget, I didn't see it on the news. I heard about it in school. And somebody took me aside. And this tell you what a huge little Kiss fan I was when I was in high school. Somebody took me aside and said, I got to tell you something. It's really bad news. And I'm thinking, what could this be? And they told me Eric Carr died, and it it made me cry. You know, it really made me cry because, man, that guy was, he was a member of KISS, you know, and he was so cool in the Fox makeup. And then even without the makeup on, he was like, man, he was the coolest member of KISS. Yeah, he was kind of the fan favorite at that time. Yeah, yeah. because like, yeah, you got the original guys, but then Eric Carr was so cool. It was like he bridged the gap between what Kiss was and what Kiss is. You know, he was a little bit of both. So it was like, he was old school, but he was still my guy too. Yeah, and that was the Kiss I fell in love with. Yeah. Yeah, that's a sad feeling. You think about that, but, you know, as always, you know, we, we go through these lists, we do this because it's important to remember these people. Well, and I remember seeing it, it was Tabitha Soren on MTV News, and... I remember when they were, she reported at first, I'm like shocked about hearing that he died. And then at the end of the thing, they go ahead and announce and uh, replacing Eric Carr will be uh, cult drummer, Eric Singer. And I remember thinking that was kind of strange that like they'd already announced his replacement that day. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I remember that. And I'm like, wow, they've already, they've already got somebody in his, in his position. Yeah. Let the body get cold. Jeez. It was a little strange. Yeah. But that was in the time before internet, you know, and like you said, with PR being able to be controlled the way it was back then, like nothing got out unless you wanted it to. You know, it wasn't like you had people like today following Kiss around trying to get the inside scoop on every little thing. Yeah. It was easier to have respect for Kiss back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. The less you know, yep. the better off you may be. And shows like this fucking podcast have ruined the, the illusion. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Podcasting has ruined everything. We probably are at fault. Especially that damn decibel geek. They're the worst. Don't let your wife and kids listen to it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's a couple of tough ones right there. You know, over the years, I get more respect for Freddie Mercury and Queen. At the time, like I said, didn't give a shit. Felt a little spited because Freddie Mercury got so much more attention than Eric Carr did at the time. I didn't understand it. It's like, why are they making such a big deal about this guy? Eric Carr was so much more important. 
As you get older, you realize, well, Freddie Mercury is a pretty important part of rock history too, so you got to give him his respect as well. But, man, I'll never forget finding out about Eric Carr dying, and I'll never forget the feeling and the sadness of the first time feeling like, wow, you know, Eric Carr was a young dude, you know. He wasn't even that old. He didn't seem old. He didn't seem – he was like – it was almost like a fantasy-type thing. Like, you could see yourself – being in one of your favorite bands because he was in it. Yeah. You know, it gave you fantasy that, you know, something like that could happen. And then when he died, it's like double shocking because he was so young. And then the fact that it was some kind of sickness, you know, you think car accident or something like that. Well, yeah, that's that kind of shit can happen. But then it was, you know, disease-related. It was kind of a wake-up call because when you're young, you don't, like I said, you don't think about death that way. You know, it's it's a faraway thing. It's something that happens to old people. But then when it's one of your dudes for the very first time, yeah, that's a feeling I'll never forget. And like I said, that's why we do this, so we don't forget. So remember Freddie Mercury, Eric Carr, Kevin Dubrow, Malcolm Young, all these guys, even Chuck Mosley, Mitch Mitchell, and... Hank Von Hell. Remember all these people because, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. But like I always say, when we remember them, the legacy lives on forever. And these artists, their music will live on forever. And they're legends in our hearts. So they'll always be there. That's why we take the time to remember them every year at their time of their rock star death days. So, man, that's what, that puts me in a bummer mood thinking about Eric Carr. Kind of tough to come back after that. But I got one more little segment here. Not a whole lot. It's getting to be the end of the year. Things are slowing down just a little bit. But we've got some new albums coming our way in the next week or two. And I want to lay them on you. This week, we've got new albums. Well, no, this one's not new. This actually re-releases. Are you familiar with the band Camelot? That's Camelot with a K. Yes. American heavy metal band. Man, they've released 13 studio albums. Their 13th came out earlier this year. Napalm Records, they're hooked up with them, and they're doing three classic re-releases all on the 17th. So if you're a fan of Camelot, you got to have that stuff on vinyl, man. The 180 gram, your chances now. That's all coming out. Three of them, look that up. They're all coming out on the 17th. Also on the 17th, we talked about this before, it's finally here. The 50th Super Deluxe release of Vagabonds of the Western World by Thin Lizzy. Kind of considered their breakthrough album. This thing's going to be packed full of unreleased songs, outtakes, radio sessions, artwork, photographs that have rarely been seen, all kinds of cool stuff. Have you got that ordered? I've been fighting the urge for the last two (laughs) weeks to buy this thing and... I'm just not in a financial position to to do it right now, but I I do plan eventually to buy it. Yeah, it seems pretty cool, man. There's a lot of neat stuff on here that I'd like to hear. That's coming out on the 17th. We talked about this before, how Cleopatra Records must have got a hold of some old tapes from UFO because they got another one. This one's a 1985 re-release of an album live at the Oxford Apollo. So Cleopatra, we talked about it not too long ago. We're going to see a few of these before the end of the year. Here's another one, a live album from UFO. Man, great time to be a fan of that band. Also on the 17th, can you believe it? It's Winger with a Greatest Hits album. 
Hmm. This has got to be one of those bands that got so many greatest hits albums for having not that huge of a discography. But I'm not going to give them hell because I think this is one of those deals where Atlantic Records goes, we're not selling that many albums anymore. You know, we need to look at what bands we have on our record label over the years that we can re-release their albums and do greatest hits. Oh, yeah, we got Winger. Let's do Chapter 1, The Atlantic Years. Yeah, Atlantic Records coming out with another Winger's Greatest Hits. So if you ain't got enough of those, here's another one coming for you. I think that one's got more to do with the record label than it does the actual band. I'm sure the band has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Probably not. I don't, yeah, well, I know for a fact they're not on Atlantic anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> they probably don't give a shit if you buy it or not. Save your money, buy their latest one, which is pretty damn good, and buy a concert ticket instead. Let's see. This one I found to be pretty interesting. We're going into next week now because I don't, I want to stay ahead of this a little bit. This is pretty cool. I didn't know about this. This is Glenn Hughes and Robin George. They've got an album coming out called Overcome. And what this is, is a lost album that was recorded and never released. Recorded in 1989. Hmm. Now, Robin George, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, because I'm really not. No. I guess he is a multi-instrumentalist, awesome guitarist from England, and he had a, a song called Heartline, but I, I listened to it. I didn't recognize it. I guess it was a hit in the UK. It sounded pretty cool, but other than that, I really don't know anything about this guy. But he had run circles with Glenn Hughes in the UK, and together they recorded this album in 89, and if you think in 89, Glenn Hughes, lots of drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of drugs being done in the process of this album. So I'm betting it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm really kind of interested in hearing this. And I think I'm going to order it just because, one, it's Glenn Hughes. I mean, this has got to be some blackout era Glenn Hughes shit right here. So <laughs> you just don't know what that's going to be like. But, hell, man, everything this guy has ever done is pretty awesome. So i got to imagine this can't be any different. But the fact that it was recorded in 89 and never released makes it kind of a, a lost gem. Yeah. I'd be interested in hearing it. Yeah, I'm really interested in hearing it myself. Also on the 24th, they've been releasing singles for the last year, but now the full album's finally coming out. Man, this is a cover album, but it's a fun one. It's Jet Boy, and they got an album called Crate Digging. You know, like digging through records. Well, they found some good stuff. They're actually covering some... Pretty outside-the-wall stuff, you know, yeah. Eastbound and Down, Bloody Well Right, Rich Girl, and the most recent one they released was the Lido Shuffle. Lido Shuffle. Lido Shuffle, yeah. I just, when I saw the name, I was like, Lido Shuffle. The Boss Gag song. Yeah, and I was like, what is that? I don't know what that is. And then I heard it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely know what it's, this is. It's one of the greatest Yacht Rock songs ever. And Jet Boy takes these songs, they kind of rock them out a little bit, and they make them their own, and it all sounds pretty fun. I'm 100% going to get this. Yeah, I like the, the Boss Gags cover I heard it the other day. Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of Jet Boy, have always been as long as they've been around, and makes me happy to hear that they're still around, still doing it. That Mickey Finn's a hell of a nice guy. We've talked to him a few times on the show. And yeah, Jet Boy, got to love him, got to support him. 
Let's see, what else? On the 24th, Lillian Axe has got The Box, Volume 1. It's a seven-CD box set covering the band's studio albums and live releases from 1992 to 2009. So if there's anything in the Lillian Axe discography that you're missing between 92 and 2009, you're going to get it all in one place with The Box, Volume 1. Here's another one. We're talking about Glenn Hughes and Lost Tapes. Well, here you go. Trapeze, Lost Tapes, Volume 1. 14 unreleased tracks. So when Mel Galley was alive, and they were pretty proficient with writing songs. And so Glenn Hughes was in the band, and then Mel would take over lead vocals for a while and have different singers and stuff in Trapeze after Glenn Hughes moves on. But one thing he always did was would take the tapes and give them to his brother and say, hang on to these. And then when Mel got sick... Before he passed away a few years back, he told his brother one of his dying wishes was for him to go through this stuff and see what was all in there. And from some of this is where you get Lost Tapes Volume 1. And from what I read about it, this is a lot of stuff that you're going to find that you're going to say, why wasn't this released on an album? Because they had so much stuff that they only had room for so many songs and some things just can't make the cut. But they say a lot of this stuff was so good, it probably should have. Trapeze, one of them bands, not really that well-known, especially here in the United States. But if you look at the bands that they influenced, man, it's a mile long and it's all good. Trapeze, a great band if you don't know about them. Classic rock, it's good stuff. So if you're a fan of that, you want to get some stuff that you never heard before, Lost Tapes Volume 1 comes out on the 24th. And then finally on the 24th, holy shit. Cleopatra's at it again. UFO, Lights Out (laughs) Chicago, a 1980 concert, never released before, going to be out on vinyl. Man, like I said, real good time to be a fan of UFO right now in 2023. Who knew? But yeah, kudos to Cleopatra, not just for finding this stuff, but for releasing it. I would love it. Like It's kind of like the the off the soundboard stuff with Kiss. You know, I wish more of my favorite bands were would be releasing stuff like this yeah that archive stuff i think is some of the most fun to listen to especially you know unreleased stuff that never got released back in the day i think that's always fun to to check out yeah time pieces man little time capsules you can't go back in time but clear is going back in time for us and pulling out the ufo and bringing it up to 2023 where we can all hear it for the first time I think it's awesome, you know, so keep that stuff coming. Oh, they will. There's more coming before the end of the year. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) They are unloading the UFO. They must have a ton of this stuff. It's awesome. So there you have it. Those are the albums to look forward to coming out. So we look to the past. We look to the past again, and now we look to the future. And that, my friends, is the Camaro segment. All right. We just got a couple things to touch on here. Um Steven Adler recently uh, made the claim that Vince Neal's voice is rock and roll gold. So um, the next news story is Steven Adler back on drugs. <laughs> well, Vince Neal's voice is rock and roll gold. Really? Is he talking about like right now or as a whole? Uh, I just looked at the headline like most Americans. Yeah. Okay. Well, as a whole, yes, Vince Neil's voice is rock and roll gold. Right now, I mean, just like a lot of them, well, I don't know. Gold don't rust, but a lot of our singers are sure rusty. Something's, the word fossilized comes to mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, shit. <laughs> I was just talking about Vince Neil today, telling a story about how when I was young, I worked at this place. It was a restaurant and a microbrewery back when that was kind of a novelty thing. And Vince Neil was playing in town. It was like the day before the show. <laughs> and he would come in and sit at the bar and get a beer. And then people would come up to him. I, I left him alone. I just kind of hung back and watched. But people would come up to him like, well, Vince Neil, you know, get an autograph. You know, this would be even before cell phones and shit, you know, so no, like no one's snapping pictures. But you get autographs, you know, people. Like, sure, sure. You know, he's real nice with everybody, signing autographs and shit. Then pretty soon a pretty girl would come up and start talking to him. And then after a few minutes, he'd chug his beer and off they'd go. About an hour later, he'd come back by himself. He'd be sitting there and he'd drink another beer. And people come up and get autographs and stuff. Super nice, everybody. Girl would come up, talk to him. He'd get up and they'd be gone. <laughs> About an hour later, Vince Neil would come back by himself. Finally, towards the end of the night, there was this like the power couple of the restaurant. Like the dude was a manager and she was like the main hostess or whatever. Very, very beautiful lady. And Vince Neil left with her. <laughs> And in his wake, he left this restaurant in complete drama for like a month while like the breakup happened. And it wasn't just like these people broke up. And it wasn't just like she cheated on him. And it wasn't just like she cheated on him with Vince Neil. It was that everybody saw the whole thing happen. And then these poor people still had to work with all these same people that had seen it happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess Vince Neil wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, the free pass that the husband allows no i guess not yeah not vince <laughs> oh man um rush's getty lee in the news and um did an interview and said we had our moments where we were doing too many gigs too many gigs in a row and the drugs were coming at us fast and furious but somehow or another we kept our shit together through it all there was one leg of one tour that we did 23 one-nighters in a row you're operating on fumes. You're doing whatever it takes to get you through to the next show, get through that show. Whether it's smoking a joint afterwards or doing a line of Coke or whatever it takes, you did it. I had no idea that Rush messed around with Coke. Yeah, those guys always seem like a weed and mushroom band to me. They always seemed like a sit-at-home-and-play solitaire band to me. Yeah, I don't know, man, but you think about that. And most people don't, you know, you think the rock and roll lifestyle is glamorous, you know, and it's like, oh, you're pampered everywhere you go. But then you think about like 21 straight, like town after town after town, 21 in a row, like you're getting up, you're going to the show, you know, you're getting ready, you're sound checked, then you're waiting, then it's showtime, you do the show, then you're after the show, then you're back to the hotel, then you're on the bus, then you're next town, boom, 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 you know, and it's nonstop. Do you really have the time to really enjoy the fruits of the road at that point? Mm -hmm. Or then is it just one hell of a really demanding job? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You don't think about that kind of stuff. You just think, wow, these guys are rock stars. They got it made. No, they're working their fucking asses off. On a um, side note with Getty Lee, did you see the link I shared about his the auction that's going up for his baseball collection? No. Uh-uh. What kind of baseball collections he got? It's the most amazing baseball collection you'll ever see. It's like some of the most high-dollar stuff ever. He's like a baseball obsessive. And just the section of baseballs that are autographed that are on this site is fucking crazy. So it's like balls signed by Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, but even oh, wow. more interesting stuff like um, baseballs signed by presidents who threw out first pitches. 
Oh, wow. So you've got Bush, you've got Obama, you've got more of the modern day ones, but he's got like two or three that are signed, that are pitches thrown out and signed by uh, John F. Kennedy. Holy shit. Yeah. Also, remember the Beatles played Shea Stadium in 66? Yeah. He's got a baseball from that show signed by the whole band. Wow. Yeah. But does he have a baseball signed by Vinnie Vincent? I don't think so. Wasn't Vinnie Vincent selling autographed baseballs at one time? Yeah, for like $1,000. <laughs> Goofball. Oh, That's wild, though, man. I had no idea he collected that stuff. Yeah, I knew he was a big baseball fan because I've um, Rich and Rich Meister Dillon has um, season tickets to the Blue Jays, and apparently yeah. Getty has as well and he sees him all the time but i knew he's a giant baseball fan but i had no idea his collection was this big and it's it's insane i'll I'll even i'll put the link in the show notes uh for the auction because it's wild to look at all that stuff i wonder why he's selling it all he's just getting near the end of his life you know he and he's doing a bunch of interviews about he was on dan patrick's show the other day and he's just like he's like i've just run out of space and I'm, i'm ready to you know let some of it go so um, I don't think he needs the money, but he's yeah. going to make a fucking fortune off of it. Does Getty Lee have kids? I don't think so. No? I could be wrong on that, but I don't believe so. No. I guess if you got an awesome collection, but you don't really have nobody to leave it to, or even if you do have kids and they just don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Might as well sell it off. There might know? be a charity aspect to it, too. I'd, I didn't, yeah. I'd have to look deeper into it. But, um, but yeah, the... The items are wild. Um, I was just, I was blown away by it. Man, that Beatles one is pretty cool. Yeah, that one. Jeez, what what are the odds to get something? I mean, wonder what he paid to get that. Yeah, probably a lot. And what was the story behind originally getting it? I mean, they're playing at the baseball stadium, yeah. But who's got the the brains to say, hey, will you autograph this baseball? Somebody that was working, because I remember reading in the description, somebody that was working the event was had the foresight to have them sign a handful of baseballs. So pretty cool. I don't know what for, but they did. So there's only a few. Pretty smart. Pretty awesome. Uh, a couple more stories. Alice Cooper has a, an official book called Starring Alice Cooper coming out in May of 2024. Huh? Has he ever released an official book? Yeah, I mean, there's been a few books. Golf. I've got. I'm looking at one right now. His uh, book called Golf Monster. It's kind of like oh, an yeah. autobiography and a golf book. It's like every other chapter switches. Um, there was also a book called, um, me, Alice in the seventies. If you get a copy of that, it's worth a fortune because they're hard really? to find. Um, he's put out a few, but this one is put out by Rufus publications. It's a 400 plus page book, two years in the making. And, uh, Alice oversaw the whole thing. And I bet this is going to cost a freaking fortune. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's expensive nowadays, but yeah, it's got, uh, Lots of superb photography and essays on his career from renowned writers, including Jan Huelski from Cream Magazine and Catherine Turman, who wrote Louder Than Hell, but she also ran his radio show. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely I'll be buying this for sure if you can afford it. Yeah, if I can afford it, that's a that's the that's the issue. You'll have to mortgage the house to get the Thin Lizzy album and the Alice Cooper book. Yeah, well, my wife's argument was I already own the overall Thin Lizzy box set, so what do I need the other one for? I need it. <laughs> I'll still wind up with it. it. It just might be a few months before I get it. 
Yeah, yeah. Talk about how expensive everything is, man. I was looking at Pantera tickets. I saw they were coming to Nashville in February. Yeah. Now look at that tickets it's like sixty two dollars to stand outside the arena. Oh Jesus. Yeah, it's not not affordable really. Is it that bad? Because I was, I was thinking about it's going. It's pretty expensive. Yeah, I'd like to go. Come see me a little Zach Terra. Let's keep an eye on it. Maybe we can work, figure out a way to get in. Okay. Um, last thing I got, um, this came out this week. Um, there's going to be a collaborative album called Medusa featuring Jack Russell oh, and yeah. Tracy Guns. And, yeah. uh, and a uh, single's already been released. And it's awesome. Yeah, I was very impressed with it. Man, I am super excited for this because I, I was just talking about this. We were just talking about this not too long ago about how it's been a long time since Jack Russell's Great White came out with an album. And it's like, was that a one and done thing? You know, and that Great White has got Brett singing with him now and that album's supposed to be coming out. We're looking forward to that. What the hell happened to Jack Russell? Well, I guess here we go. This has got to be a Frontiers, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah, I knew it. But Frontiers is awesome for having the brains to do something like this. You know what? People want Jack Russell music. Make it easy for him. You know, make it easy for him to come out with new music. And then Tracy Guns working with Jack Russell. That's intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Tracy Guns is awesome and can write great songs. You know, Jack Russell is awesome, can write great songs. But what happens when you put the two of them together? How can this not rule? And then you hear the first song and it's really, really good. So if you're a fan of L.A. Guns, there you go. If you're a fan of Great White, shit, this is amazing. I'm super excited for this. I mean, it's not even 2024 yet, and I'm betting this one might be on my top 10 at the end of 2024. It might be. I was. We're not even there yet. I was really impressed with the guitar tone on that song like it's a that's yeah. i think tracy sounds better on that than the, the newer la guns records so i don't know who did the production on this but it sounds good and jack still still has that voice yeah i'm excited for this like that hit me out of nowhere i saw that the other night and i was just like what what is this i didn't i've been working on decibel geek and geek wire all this time kristen zach never told me about this and then i was like oh shit there's a song too I like it. Can we play out that song? Yeah, let's do it. Give everybody a taste of it because I'm excited for this. The album's called Medusa. It's coming out early next year. It's Jack Russell and Tracy Guns. I mean, yeah, that sounds cool on paper, but guess what? Sounds pretty damn good in your ears, too. So this is Decibel Geek Podcast. We're a part of Pantheon Podcast. That's right. The best podcasts in the entire world are a part of Pantheon Podcasts. Music podcasts, all about rock and all different kinds of music. If you love music, then you are selling yourself short by not hooking up with Pantheon because Pantheon takes all the hard work out of it for you. You don't have to listen to hours and hours and hours of bad music podcasts just to hopefully find something that you like as much as you like us. Pantheon Podcast knows this. You've got no time in your life. You might have kids. You might have family. You got jobs. You got responsibilities. Who has time to try to hunt down good podcasts? Let Pantheon do the work for you. It's already done. Check out the Pantheon Podcast app. Download it on your phone. Peruse what they got. What they got is good. I guarantee it. So check out Pantheon. 
This has been GeekWire. Like we said, the latest, greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal. We bring it to you every other week. Next week, we'll be back with something fun for you, too. And then we'll be back with more GeekWire, more fun stuff, more GeekWire. And then pretty soon, it's the end of the year creeping around. So you're going to get the end of the year best of lists from both of us. There's been some kick-ass music come out in 2023. So it's going to be no easy task for Chris or myself we better get to work on this. Have you got any idea on your list yet? Oh, yeah. I started like two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I need to start like right now because I don't want it to creep up on me. But I got a feeling it's going to come together pretty easy. It usually does. And then it changes. And then it changes and it changes. And then the day we record, I'll go, eh, maybe this one instead. You know, so... We'll see how it goes, but that's always a fun one to look forward to. Lots of brain racking and hair pulling for us, but the enjoyment will be all yours. So stick with us with the Decibel Geek Podcast. Here's Jack Russell and Tracy Guns with their brand new song off their album Medusa coming your way in 2024. And we'll see you next week. See ya.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 